Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Osaka, Japan with my new friend Lakamina of Lakamina.com. Carmina specializes in Japan travel coverage and has been writing about Japan since 2007 on her site as well as major publications like Time and Business Insider. She's also a frequent guest expert on travel TV shows. In this episode, Carmina and I talk about celebrating the Buddhist Oban holiday, Hanami Cherry Blossom Viewing, and touring the Osaka Castle. You'll hear about these three incredible interactions and so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Osaka. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Don't you just hate waiting in line for security at the airport? Me too. Even the pre check lines are slammed most of the time today. That's why I use Clear to skip the lines and get to my flight quicker. For my listeners, I've actually worked out a special deal where you can try Clear for free for two months. This is a limited time offer, so go to wetravelthere.com forward slash clear to sign up today. Hey, Carmina, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Today we're talking about Osaka, Japan, and I've done a couple of interviews about Japan, but I don't know much about Osaka, so I, it's awesome that you're on to be able to be on the show and share all your wonderful tips. Yeah, it's often overlooked because when people go to Japan, they go to Tokyo and they often only stay there. But there's so much in Osaka and it's really quite different. So I always recommend that people go there as well. Well, right on. So, so for people that don't know much about Osaka, like where is it in, in relation to geography of, of like Japan or, or, or Tokyo? So from Tokyo, Osaka is west of that. And most people, they take the train. The bullet train is infamous in Japan. And it takes about two and a half hours to get there. So, not a long journey at all. The bullet train is a little bit pricey, perhaps more so than people might expect. It can be something like close to 150 US dollars, even depending on the speed and what you get. So, some people choose to fly instead. And there are all sorts of low cost local carriers within Japan and many flights between Tokyo and Osaka all the time. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So, if say if I'm, I'm here in Nashville or where I used to live in LA, from there, are there direct flights to Osaka or will we fly into Tokyo and then take the little small plane from Tokyo to Osaka? Yeah, in fact, there are direct flights to Osaka, usually from the west coast of the States. This changes all the time. Flight routes are constantly changing, but they do exist. And worst case, it's not too difficult to find cheap direct flights, especially from the west coast of the US and Canada to Tokyo. And then from there, why not take a train trip that not only goes to Osaka, but also Kyoto, maybe Hiroshima, and other places?、Uh, that'd be fantastic. But if somebody wanted to do the flight, I know here, obviously, in, in the US, there's like Southwest and Allegiant and Frontier, some of the little, like, smaller, lower cost airlines. What are the airlines that maybe we look at if we're flying in Japan to, to make that flight between Tokyo and, and Osaka? So, if you wanted to fly between Tokyo and Osaka, there are tons of options. The larger carriers also have flights, such as Japan Airlines or ANA, All Nippon Airways, but those tend to be a bit more expensive. So, I would recommend the smaller local domestic carriers. One has a really cute name, it's called Peach Airlines. <laughs> the flight is only an hour and a half nonstop, and flights can be as low as $50 even round trip. Jetstar is another one that's an Asia domestic low cost airline. So, if you prefer to fly between Tokyo and Osaka, I recommend looking into those too. 
Oh, right on. So lots of different options and maybe different experiences. Maybe you fly one way and then take the train the other way. So what's your connection to Osaka? Like, were you born there? Have you lived there a long time? Oh, I love Osaka. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. But because my family is based in Asia, my extended family and relatives, since I was one years old, we would be going back and forth every summer. And I spent a lot of childhood and teen years in Japan. And Osaka is one of my favorite places. It also, it changes over the years. And I got to experience different aspects of it as I got older. For instance, experiencing the Gothic nightlife and the absinthe bars and all that. But I have great memories of Universal Studios and all the cute characters. It's just a fantastic place with something for everybody. Oh, that's amazing. And I mean, the, the really cool thing is you've taken all those experiences and you converted them into kind of like a career. You've, you've been able to write for so many different places. You've been on TV talking about Osaka. So even though you know, maybe you don't live there, like you know a tremendous amount about it, maybe even more than some locals. In some ways, that's actually funny because many locals don't necessarily dive into the offbeat, bizarre aspects of any city. And that's my specialty. So it's true. I've been blogging since 2007. I would specialize in Japan and Tokyo and Osaka, especially. Then people would say, I've been living here my whole life. I had no idea (laughs) that there was a satanic shop in Osaka and this strange rave store and this underground party. So that's my specialty. And I love sharing these things I discover and I'm passionate about with my readers. That's fantastic. Okay, let's take a step back. When people are planning their trip to Osaka, what's the weather like throughout the year? Or are there, are there certain festivals maybe some of us have planned their trip around? I always tell people to compare the weather in Osaka and Tokyo, which are similar to New York or the East Coast, USA. So spring and fall are gorgeous. My favorite times to go in the winter. It's going to be cold, so it's doable, but I'm not a huge fan of the cold or the heat. The summers are very humid. It's not a dry heat like in the West Coast USA. It's more of an East Coast humidity. And these days, especially with global warming, it's getting more and more oppressive during the summers with the heat waves. So I recommend going in spring or fall, but especially fall, because in spring you have the beautiful cherry blossoms and all the festivals. That's a great time to go if you want to experience Hanami, which is cherry blossom viewing. Families and friends, they have picnics under the pink cherry blossom trees in the parks, such as in Osaka, say by Osaka Castle. But then it's very busy and expensive because everyone is going at that time. Me, because I'm a goth and I love Halloween and all those things, fall is my favorite time, September, October, because Japan and Osaka, they do Halloween really well. You see cute Hello Kitty characters with Halloween costumes and Osaka's Universal Studios theme park. They do an incredible horror nights around Halloween. So my preference would be to go around that time. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I mean, my daughter's kind of like you where she loves to get dressed up and loves all the fun. My son wants nothing to do with it. (laughs) He just wants to hand out the candy and nothing to do with all the scary things. So... (laughs) Are there certain other festivals that happen throughout the year? Like I know you mentioned the, the Hanami uh, and then obviously the Halloween. Are, are there other festivals that maybe somebody wants to plan their trip around? Yeah, because I'm like your daughter. I love spooky things. There actually is something at the end of August, usually around August 22nd. It's called Obon, and it's to commemorate 
ancestors, including ghosts. So it's a little bit like Day of the Dead, if you're familiar with that, the Mexican celebration, but it's a Buddhist festival. And this is when the spirits allegedly come back to Earth to be with their families. So you'll see incredible parades and effigies and dances and things that, uh, celebrations at the temples. It's really beautiful and ghostly, but quite evocative and meaningful to the locals. So I suggest going around that time as well to experience it. Oh, fantastic. So like we talked about, we're either going to take the train from Tokyo or we're going to fly directly into Osaka. Once we get to the, the actual city from there, like, do we take a, a train to get around? Do we like rent a car? Is there like Uber or like a, a metro system? Like, how do we get around the city? Yeah, number one way, subways. The metro in Japan is infamous for being efficient and clean and just a great experience. It's really part of the travel experience, I think. So I always recommend that people take the trains. It's not difficult to figure out the routes because they are written in English as well. And the staff is always happy to help. These days, you can always look things up on your smartphones as well. Back in the day, I remember having the paper map and taking it everywhere and trying to figure (laughs) out from A to B. But definitely the trains because taxis and whatnot are expensive. And I do not recommend driving in Japan. It's on the other side of the road. You need an international driver's license. And it's just complicated and expensive. Dealing with a rental car is a hassle. I don't know anybody who does it, really. Just go take the subways and you will be great. Yeah, I, I, I think that anytime you can take the public transportation like that, you have just much, so much better of an experience because you're actually feeling like you're part of the city. So yeah, we take the public transportation, we're getting around. As far as like the, the actual size of the city, is it, is it a pretty big city? Is it pretty small? Like, or are there certain parts of the town where if you're planning to, to book your hotel or wherever you're staying, that maybe you want to stay in a certain side and maybe avoid others? Well, Osaka is actually relatively compact if you're there as a tourist. So if you want to visit the castle and the main shopping areas and food areas, they are all sort of centered in one general in certain districts. So Dotonbori, Nanba, Amerikamura, and those are all kind of central where the action is. I recommend booking something there because in Japan, you can get these very inexpensive yet clean and compact hotels. They're kind of known as business travel hotels. They can be as low as $80 a night, but they are not hostels. You get your own bathroom, even with a large bathtub, because baths are key in Japan. And they're in central locations. So I recommend that you look into something like that centrally, as opposed to staying further away and transiting in. I always say invest and stay close to the action. It's better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the last thing you want to do is be having to deal with going back and forth, back and forth. Based on that, like a minute ago, you mentioned that like some of the signs around are, are in English as well. I know that a lot of travelers here in the U.S. they're kind of afraid to travel because, like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna know the language. I'm not gonna know how to get around. Are a lot of signs in English, or are there a lot of people that, that speak English when you're there? So that's changed a lot over the years. I've been going since I was a baby, right? And back then, it was much more Japanese only. But in recent years, especially with the Olympics and with increased tourism from the West, things have been more English-friendly, which is good and bad because I kind of liked the days when it was more insider and insular. And if you didn't know Japanese or you didn't know how to read the kanji exactly, it was kind of fun to go to a place and say, okay, I'll just try this and see what happens. 
or to figure your way out, bumble around a bit, again, before Google Maps and smartphones. Although it was a struggle, it was really more of an adventure in a way to figure out how to get from place to place and what are you doing in this wonderland, right? <laughs> I totally agree. Now, I, I know that in Japan, like the, the money there is, is the yen. Say somebody coming from the U.S., do we need to change money into the local currency or should we just rely on credit cards? How much money would we actually need to kind of keep on hand? Yeah, so this is something that people do not expect. Japan, they think, oh, it's so futuristic and high tech, right? And it is in many ways, but in other ways, it's actually still quite analog. And one aspect in that regard, it's cash. There's still a lot of cash basis for shopping. Many places only accept cash. And yeah, it's, it's really important to have a lot of cash on hand just because of that, even in a major city like Osaka. So I recommend taking out yen. I like to get it before I get there, just so I don't have to worry about it. Even if you're paying a bit more for the exchange rate or whatnot, then you're good to go straight out of the gate as soon as you arrive. I would suggest getting, if you're there, oh, I would say maybe 200 a day-ish, or depending on your budget, but it's always good to have a bit more. You just never know what can happen, and you don't want to be stuck at a place where they don't accept credit cards. Well, for sure. Yeah, I would say if you're coming from the U.S. or wherever you're coming from, go to your local bank. Uh, you know, a week or two in advance, let them know that you need some money. They'll make the currency exchange for you right there. Maybe it'll take a few days. Or when you arrive, don't go to the the airport place that wants to do the, the currency exchange. They're going to rip you off. Don't do that. Uh, instead, find a, a, a big bank there in Japan and use your ATM and pull out money that way. You're probably going to get the best exchange rate that way. You can use, often use your credit card to take out money from the local ATMs in Japan. But I do the same as you. Uh, sometimes the bank and exchange rates at currency exchanges, they can vary where I am in Vancouver. Sometimes it is cheaper at the currency exchange. So I shop around and I, I try to figure out the rate at that time for the bank and the currency exchange and choose from that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you were mentioning earlier about, uh, you mentioned a castle. Can you tell us a little bit about the castle and like some other things to do while we're there in Osaka? Okay, so Osaka Castle, it's one of the most famous attractions. And it's actually a reconstruction of General Hideyoshi's 17th century castle, but that got burned down because it was struck by lightning. But it is gorgeous. You have these different levels, peaked roofs, and during the spring, it's surrounded by these pink cherry blossoms. It's really gorgeous. You can go there and pretend you're in a samurai movie. <laughs> you can, yeah, explore the moats and take pictures amidst the historic sites and learn about the history. But the park is also a huge draw. It surrounds the castle, and it includes a bunch of open-air concert halls, of course, the famous cherry blossom trees where you can sit underneath and enjoy a picnic. <laughs> but for me, because I've seen these landmarks already throughout the years, so I tend to hang out in this alternative district called America Mura or America Mura. It's a bit like Harajuku in Tokyo, and it's the subculture center. So when you go there, you'll see these youths wearing alternative fashion, gothic, punk looks. You can walk around and you can find all these independent boutiques, vintage stores, um, piercing studios, tattoo parlors, taxidermy shops. I particularly like one called Territory. The owner, he collects all these satanic and witchcraft and occult items. And walking inside, it's like you're in the presence of a wizard. It's really amazing. And then for families, there's Pokemon Center. That's always fun. Go and collect them all. It's a huge collection <laughs> of plush toys and all the merchandise. 
Yeah, food is also huge. So eating, eat your way around. Dotonbori is great. Eat the okonomiyaki, the takoyaki. And that's a good way to start, I think. Oh, there's so many different things to do. I mean, like when I saw that the Pokemon is there, and I guess it's the world largest like Pokemon store, right? Um, it's in the country, I believe. It's huge. It's really amazing to see all the limited items there. Like my my son is like super into Pokemon, and he loves to draw them and everything like that. So we would definitely have to stop there and check that out. No, but I also saw that uh, you mentioned Universal Studios earlier. I guess there's like a uh, Super Nintendo World. Is that part of Universal Studios or is that a separate park? So that is part of Universal Studios Osaka, and it is the newest edition. I actually haven't been yet because it opened during the pandemic, and I'm really excited to go there. So uh, Universal Studios has different worlds. There's things dedicated to, say, Harry Potter and Terminator and whatnot. But this is an entirely Mario world, and it really looks like a scene from the video game from what I've seen in (laughs) videos and photos I think they do a tremendous job. I mean, Nintendo's a Japanese uh, homegrown, right? So you get to feel like you're Mario in the game. You can punch question blocks and you can go through the the warped pipes. And yeah, it just looks incredible. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, um, we talked about different things like the castle and some parks and, and other attractions around. Uh, I saw something called the the Amazing Pass. Is that something that people should get when they're in Osaka? And does that include like the castle and some other things? Or what does that include? Yeah, so that's a good one. If you are new to Osaka and you really want to sightsee and see the major sites, I would recommend that. It's really easy to use because it's just a little barcode that you can present to get entry for buses, trains, and a lot of the major attractions. And there's also discounts from stores. So that's something that you can get in advance if you Google Osaka Amazing Pass. You can find it online. I wouldn't recommend it for someone who's a more seasoned traveler or who is more interested in the more obscure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But in terms of the unlimited trains and Metro, that is very useful. Japan rail pass also does unlimited options. So if you are traveling to several places such as Tokyo to Osaka to Kobe or Kyoto within say one week, I recommend the Japan rail pass instead so that you can do all that for one fixed price. And you can also ride the local trains for free. Oh, that's a great option. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're flying and maybe you only have like a a week or two and you're going to try to experience as much of Japan as you can, as you can do. And maybe you're not going to spend multiple days in in any one city. That's a good way to kind of do like a little appetizer of a bunch of different cities within the country. Yeah, exactly. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier about some of the the, the different foods and I'm not too familiar with, with a lot of the Japanese food other than, than sushi and, and rice and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about like some of those different dishes and like maybe some places where we can check out some of those dishes? Yep, absolutely. Food is one of my favorite things to check out wherever I am. And I have cravings all the time for okonomiyaki. It's a savory Japanese pancake. I don't know if you've tried it before, but it's kind of a savory pancake batter mixed with cabbage. And it's flavored with dashi, which is a stock made from seaweed and bonito fish flakes. And then you can customize it. You can mix it with ingredients like cheese or squid or vegetables or whatever it is. And then you cover it in sauce, a brown sauce that's a little bit sweet and sometimes mayonnaise. But I always say no mayonnaise for me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great because you can see the chef prepare it right in front of you on the grill. And then you can top it with seaweed flakes and more bonito flakes. It's just savory. It's a little bit like pizza in a way, like a savory pancake. 
One of my favorite places to check it out is Tengu. It's a restaurant in Osaka. And it's done so artistically. I think the chef really has a delicate touch for mixing the ingredients and grilling it to perfection. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I, that's one thing I, I just recognize that in Japan versus some of the other places. I, it's like the, the chefs take so much care in just the preparation of the food versus, you know, in America, sometimes we just kind of slap things together, right? We're like, okay, hurry up and, and do it. Whereas like, there, it's like it's like, it's like an art form. It is. And I love how it's high and low. You can get this exquisite custom omakase sushi, or you can just go to the streets and pay $4 and get the most amazing takoyaki, which is another thing I recommend people try. It's these battered and grilled octopus balls. And they're usually just a little stall in the streets of Osaka. Um, they're also served at izakayas, which are more Japanese home style restaurants. But yeah, I usually just get it to go and eat it right there. There are these little battered domes that they pour into molds and they put a piece of octopus in the middle. Then it's a little bit like okonomiyaki in the sense that after you drizzle it with the brown sauce and the mayonnaise or not, and the seaweed and bonito flakes. Wow, that's such an amazing thing. Now you mentioned, I, I think you mentioned earlier like the dotonbori. Yes, that's right. So what is that? So dotonbori is one of the best places to check out food that I've ever been to. It's great because people in Osaka love food so much that they even have a word for it. Kuida ole, which means eat yourself into rune. <laughs> and that's what you can do in Dotonbori. So you can go and there's these famous giant red mechanical crab that's sort of the symbol of the district. And there's also kind of a running man by Glico who created the Pocky Sticks. But if you just walk around there, you'll be entranced by the smells and the sights. And you can try all the local specialties that I mentioned, like okonomiyaki, takoyaki. Uh, there's also batera, which is a rectangular pressed sushi. Um, the macro one is one of my favorites. And surprises, you never know. There could be some new food trend, and so this would be the place to discover it first. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. It sounds like such an, like an immersive experience where instead of just going to one restaurant, like you're just surrounded by all those different flavors and smells and everything else. Yeah, exactly. Carmina, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips for Osaka. I can't wait to go. And my son's definitely going to want me to go to the Pokemon place. But uh, now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Osaka, where should they go and what should they eat? Mm, I would send them to Tengu, the restaurant I mentioned that does Okonomiyaki. Because that's one of my favorite foods, and I just feel it's not done well around the world. You can get great sushi all over, but okonomiyaki, it's a bit of a, an art form, and they do it so well over there in Tengu. All right, so you've been in Osaka off and on for basically all your entire life. And I'm sure you've created some awesome, really mem- some awesome memories there while you're there. What's one of your most memorable? I had a lot of fun going to the subculture spots with one of my best friends, who's a drag queen, Yukiro. And we once went to a random store where this guy just had all this crazy rave fashion. It was called the Ridiculous Store, and unfortunately it doesn't exist anymore. I guess he couldn't quite stay in business, but we remember going inside and the floor was not level. There were all these different steps, so it looked like this topsy-turvy world. And he insisted on dressing us up in these flamboyant outfits. I feel like (laughs) something like that is a very Osaka experience, because the locals tend to be a bit more friendly and gritty and just open, whereas they're a little bit more on the reserve side in Tokyo, I would say. Oh, sure. So an experience like that is something that really stands out for me. Yeah, it's, it's so, in some ways, it's kind of sad, like these shops like that, that or restaurants that have 
amazing experiences and you create these awesome memories and then unfortunately they just don't have enough enough of a following for them to be able to stay open so that's awesome you're able to go there and, and create that memory though speaking of happy times and everything where's the happiest happy hour in osaka <laughs> i love this bar called bar midian it's run by fuki who was a rock star in sort of an 80s style metal band the genre is called visual k it's a type of j-rock but he opened this bar and because of who he is, he made it very devilish. So you'll see satanic symbols everywhere and he'll blast 80s hair metal music videos. And he offers cocktails for 666 yen, of course. <laughs> and they're all maybe black or red. So the whole place has this diabolical theme that I'm really into. And I recommend going there for 666 yen cocktails. I'm not familiar with like the exchange rate. So 666 yen, what would that be in uh, US dollars? Do you have an idea? Six-ish. About six bucks? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So basically, so it's around 100 uh, yen per dollar. Yeah, that's how I keep it in mind when shopping. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. Where should I go if I wanted to grab pizza in Osaka? <laughs> I have to say, I wouldn't recommend doing pizza in Japan. Although, if you really insist, I would say ask Italians who live in Japan and see where they go. So, if you happen to know any Italians or maybe ask online, where would you go to get your pizza fix? But I would also argue maybe Okonomiyaki is in a bit like a Japanese pizza. So, maybe that could be your pizza there. There we go. Got to kind of, uh, sometimes you got to be flexible with your definition of pizza, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, like, like we talked about earlier, I mean, you've written for like so many different magazines, uh, like Time and, and so many others, and you've been on so many other shows. Like I even saw that you were on like the show with Anthony Bourdain, right? So you know so much about travel. Like, What's one of your best travel tips? Wow. Yeah. It's hard to say because there are so many different circumstances. Best travel tip in general. So you mentioned Anthony Bourdain, who I adore. And he has a great travel tip or simply a life tip that I think is really apt. And that is to try your best to arrive early. If you have a meeting, say at 6 p.m., try to be there 5.45, 5.50. And it saves a lot of headache. If you are having a flight or something, something can happen along the way. And I've realized, you know, why stress and hope that the taxi can drive faster or do I need to run to the gate? I think you can relieve a lot of the major stresses and headaches of travel if you aim to allow enough time. So that's what I do my best to do. And if you happen to be there very early, then, well, another opportunity to people watch or maybe try another food or even just get some work done or something. So that would be my major travel tip. Well, yeah, I think I need to take a little bit of advice because I'm notorious for like showing up right on time. and. Things happen, life happens, you know, and everything else, right? Well, also note in Japan that timeliness is very important. So it's considered rude if you do not show up on time. So if you're meeting people in Japan, do your best to get there and not fashionably late. All right, well, Carmina, I really appreciate sharing all these amazing tips for Osaka. I've learned a lot. Can you tell the audience a little about who you are, what you do? And if somebody has more questions about Osaka, what's the best way for them to reach you on social media? Absolutely. I'm always happy to chat with people online and answer any questions. I've been blogging about Japan, travel, subcultures, and all that since 2007. My site is La Carmina blog, lacarmina.com, or just Google La Carmina. And so I have a lot of resources from over the years. 
firsthand stories from Japanese travels, restaurants, temple stays, gothic nightlife, fetish parties, all the crazy stuff. So I encourage people to check it out if they want some resources on the more alternative and hidden side of Japan. And in addition to that, I've appeared on a number of travel TV shows, including for Food Network, Travel Channel, CNN, NBC, and others. And I freelance for different publications, such as Time, CNN, yeah, Architectural Digest, Photos, and different travel magazines. So that's what I do. You can find me at La Carmina also on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at La Carmina, or just look me up. Google La Carmina, you'll find all my contact info and links. Well, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely include links to all that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. We look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Sounds great. Thank you. What a fun conversation with Carmina. Although my kids are a bit young for the exotic attraction Carmina shared, I know that they love to visit Super Mario World and the Osaka Pokemon Center. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash Osaka. We want to say thank you to Clear for being today's affiliate partner. Clear keeps you moving through airports, stadiums, and more with their exclusive touchless ID verification technology. Take advantage of our special limited time offer where you can try Clear free for two months. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Clear to sign up today. Join us next time as we head to Kerry Kerry, New Zealand to speak with my new friend Heather Markle of heathermarkle.com. In this episode, Heather and I talk about hiking to Rainbow Falls, learning about the Maori culture at Te Ria, and visiting the Kemp House, which is the oldest house in New Zealand. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app, that way you don't miss any of our upcoming destinations. 